Welcome to Drinking Bros Sports, brought to you by KillCliffCBD.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. You're the type who loves to bet on sports, or maybe you're only playing for the first time. Either way, you need a website that gives you access to all your favorite sports and makes it simple, which is why I recommend MyBookie. Sign up today at MyBookie.ag slash Drinking Bros and use the promo code Drinking Bros to secure your deposit bonus up to $1,000. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. That is MyBookie.ag slash Drinking Bros. Welcome to Drinking Bros Sports. This is the baseball show today. I had to join you, Rob. Yeah. I had to. As a, I mean, this is, this is kind of a, it's not, it's an unofficial Braves podcast yeah like yeah it's supposed to be neutral but we end up just talking about the Braves most of the time so the man we have on today was a monstrous part of my childhood this was this was the one that finally got us over the edge in Atlanta of being like a serious contender and on our way it was the infamous slide by Mr. Sid Bream Sid how are you I'm doing great, Ross. Rob, man, great to be on with you guys, man. Man, it's it's great to have you. I'm going to be honest. You look almost identical to what you did in 1990. It's crazy. What- well, you're you're only seeing a little part of it. <laughs> Every, everything else is underneath, and so along with a long, lot with a lot more gray hair, and and uh, but you know, not not doing too bad for all the knee surgeries. No, no. I look. You, you look great. Uh, you look in shape. And uh, look, I bet you run the same speed as you did for that slide back in 1990. Are you busting on me, Ross? Are you busting on me? I was gonna say, I, I this guy doesn't. I was about to say, he looks in good shape. Like I don't. I wouldn't be like, oh, that's not. That's the slowest guy on the on the team. No way, man. When I was a kid, and I because I was watching it live. I was I was living in Atlanta, and and I was watching it live. I felt like I was running with you in the living room to, to just get you in there safely. Uh, and then you did, and it was amazing. But uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, a, a lot of people have uh, talked about your speed over the years. Yeah, you, you were probably sitting there thinking, I'm lapping him as he's going around third base. I mean, that's what you were probably thinking, Ross. I was. That was I, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I, I mean, I, was, I had run it probably. I had run the bases in my living room about three times before you actually made it to home, actually. <laughs> now, 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 let me just qualify this a little bit, guys. I mean, I just want you to know, at that point, I had five knee surgeries. I had a big brace on, and I was slow. I will, I will admit that, I mean, at that place, point in time, I was slow, but, you know, there was a time. I mean, if you can look, I, I held the stolen base record for Pittsburgh. I mean, I just found out from Liberty University that I stole, you know, 25 base, uh, 24 or 25 bases before anybody threw me out. I mean, I, I ran a 6860 before my knee surgery. Then I ran <laughs> about an eight foot, I mean, an eight two or something. I don't know. Yeah, look, you you had some wheels back in the day when you you with Pittsburgh. Uh, I was gonna say, yeah, uh, a double digit stolen base season with Pittsburgh, and well, for, and you know the other thing too is like, yeah, I'm sure people are like, oh, haha, you're slow, whatever, but like nobody expects, you know, if the Braves fans are listening, like nobody, your job wasn't to be fast, like nobody's like, why isn't Freddie Freeman faster? Yeah, no, you know, like, yeah. Uh, the the other part about it is you made it. And so right. that's, that's exactly right. That's all that I, matters. I, I was that far away, Ross, from being the goat. Bobby Cox was that far away from being the goat, really. <laughs> but, uh, th- thankfully, it turned out to be uh, on the other side. So, I mean, I was very, very thankful. 
Yeah, you know what's weird about that is it's one of those moments where it feels like it's in a movie um, and you ended up being the hero, but you know, uh, a half a second later, you could have been out and that could have been that. Do you often have like weird dreams where you just don't make it? I know that sounds bizarre, but like, did you ever have a dream like afterwards of like, man, I didn't make that slide and I, I didn't change the city of Atlanta and all that other stuff? Can't say that I have, Ross. I mean, I've been safe every time. <laughs> I'm just glad you dream about it a lot. That's what. That's right. When you were so, when that ball was hit and you were, you know, rounding the bases or whatever, uh, was any part of you like, you know, Barry's? It's all right. Barry's throwing. I know, but like, because Barry Bonds not a, not the best arm. Were, were, did you even realize what was going on, or were you just like Jesus Christ, run, run, run? No, I I, I would have to say, Rob. I mean, in that situation, again, two outs. Bases loaded. You can't depend on another hit. I mean, uh, I had the best situation possible. And I, you know, I'm thankful in some ways. It was not that Barry Bonds didn't make a, a pretty decent throw and not that Barry Bonds is, wasn't a great outfielder because of Bill Burden. But I'm thankful that ball wasn't hit to Andy Van Slyke in center field because I would have probably <laughs> been out by about 30 feet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and obviously it had to have helped that you knew the, the Pirates so well. Well, I mean, you know, again, the one thing that you got to understand is Stan Belinda was on the mound. There were two outs. I knew he wasn't going to try to pick me off. And if you look at the video from especially the back, there was a lot of times where I was out of the screen during the pitch. I mean, with my secondary lead. I mean, I was about a third of the way from second base to third base, you know, before, you know, when the pitcher was being pitch was being thrown and. The time before, I'd hit a double off of Doug Drabeck, and he, they tried to pick me off twice. So, I mean, you know, knowing your pitcher, knowing that he was not going to take a chance on throwing a ball away and, you know, to pick me off, I mean, I got I got a better lead, and that certainly helped along with the two outs and not worrying about where the ball was hit. Yeah, I, and I mean, it's hard to believe that it was, you know, 31 years ago almost now. Um, well, I uh, think 20, it's 29. Ni ni yeah. Was it 29? 1992. Uh, I thought the, the slide was in, was it 1990? No, it was 92. 92, yeah. Come on, Ross. I mean, are you <laughs> scheduled? I mean, are you? I was a wee, wee little child at that time. Wee little child. Again, running the bases with you in my living room. I'm a child. Uh, and the other part about it is, it, truthfully, after that, we were so successful, and I say we as if I was on the Braves with you, obviously, because I'm a diehard fan. We were so successful that it, it just kind of blended in with the rest yeah. of it. it. Your slide turned everything around for the organization, I feel like, and then after that, we won 14 in a row or whatever it was. Yeah. And, um, and I just know, I just remember as a kid, that was the beginning for us. And, uh, you know, the 80s was full of Dale Murphy and Bob Horner and Gene Garber and those guys. And it was a fun team, but we didn't win a lot. Um, and then you made the you you had the slide, and then it, it changed the the history of our our franchise. And uh, uh, it, it was amazing. It's just hard to look back on it, I guess, as a kid, wearing like, oh my gosh, it, it's it's been that that time frame uh, right now. Do you still follow the Braves at all? I mean, again, it, it's tough because TBS is not playing up here in Pittsburgh, and I don't. I do have the Major League Baseball, but even at that, I mean, it would just be getting, you know, you're, you're just be getting the glimpses of the uh, the uh, replays and so on and so forth. And uh, and I, I do, I was actually supposed to be down there this last weekend, 
but I had another thing going on. I'll be there over the July 4th weekend and I try to keep up with them. I mean, I, I've looked numerous times this year to see how they're, they're making out. And, and obviously they just kicked the uh, pirates, butt this last weekend and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, so nothing, nothing new there at right. this point in time. And, <laughs> Well, you know, was, uh, they needed a little jump start. Uh, it's been kind of a med- middling season so far, kind of a, until that that pirate series. Uh, one thing that's interesting, though, is that you didn't want to go to the Braves. You didn't want to go anywhere because you like the Pirates so much. And well, I mean, I, again, Rob, just understand this. I mean, I had I came there in 1985. Finally, started to start in 1986. I mean, in, in the major leagues. You know, we were terrible that year. I think we lost 103 ball games. But every year, Sid Thrift, the general manager, and, and Jim Leland, they started putting pieces together. And 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 every year we started to get better. And uh, until 19, you know, 1990 comes when we win the thing. And it, and if you understood what, and, and maybe you do, if you realize that after we got beat by the Cincinnati Reds in 19, 1990 in the playoffs management came out the very next day and said, Sid Bream's our first priority to sign. So, I mean, you know, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, my goodness, I mean, I'm going to get a, a long-term deal, you know, security for my family and so on and so forth. And I'm still, I'm playing on a great team. I mean, we're, we're an up and coming team. And uh, throughout that whole process of negotiations, they didn't even get close to a ballpark, I mean, a market price on me. And, and then the free agency came, Atlanta gave me a great, great uh offer we had to make a decision we did but that night my wife and i sat in bed crying our eyes out thinking we were leaving pittsburgh and just to make a long story short we went to the pirates and said man i want to stay in pittsburgh will you give me a no trade clause just because you know i could have got signed by the pirates and they could have traded me down to Pit- atlanta and i would look like an idiot <laughs> I mean, they, they would you know i would have uh you know been taking away all that that money they would have got me, and and here I was. Right. I mean, so I, I asked for a no trade clause. They said no to a no trade clause, and I said, man, if I'm your first priority, I'd hate to see what your last one is. Right. And uh, and so I went down to Atlanta, and obviously the next two years we knocked the Pirates out of it, which gave me some satisfaction as far as management's concerned, not so much the players. Well, I was going to say, was that a bit of a, a conflict for you? Like, a, you know, I mean, because you loved that organization, maybe not the people running it, but the, the, obviously the players in it and presumably the fans as well. But then you're part of, you know, ripping their hearts out for two years in a row. And, and that's after, you know, the, they lost in the NLC. The Pirates were kind of had a little Braves thing going before the Braves had a Braves thing going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and and I'll say this. I mean, I've shared this with other people. I, I hit my first grand slam against the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1990, 1991. <laughs> and you would have thought that my grandmother had died. I mean, in the dugout. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I mean that I enjoyed that team. I mean, there were, there were a lot of great buddies on that team. I mean, Doug Drabeck, we were godparents. My wife and I are godparents to his kids. I mean, we spent a lot of time together. And, uh, you know, we, we went from the foxholes of being terrible to where we were winning and uh, made a lot of great friends on that team. And, and then, to, you know, to knock them out of it, not knowing if they had going to have another chance to get back to the playoffs, I mean, was very, very difficult the first year. Second year, 1992, a lot of those feelings changed and I was, I was ready to go. But uh, the first year was very difficult. 
What was it like playing with Barry Bonds? I'm sure you get this question all the time. Um, you know, because it seemed like, at least to me, that was pre-steroid Barry Bonds. Um, obviously, I'm not going to ask you to, to make a judgment on, on if he was on it back then or not, but he was certainly very, very slender. Uh, but he still looks like one of the greatest baseball players of all time. What was it like watching him up close and personal every day? Barry, Barry I mean, again, you, you have your players. You have different levels in the game of baseball. You have your players, you know, probably like myself, and then you have a grade above that, and then you have Barry Bonds. I mean, Barry Bonds was such a God-gifted uh, baseball player that, uh, you know, to see at times watch him put a whole team on his back and just, you know, do his thing and, and uh, get it done was incredible to watch. And it was an, op- it was an obvious uh, great opportunity for me to be able to say that I played with Barry Bonds. And, uh, you know, but uh, at the same time, you know, I was thankful that he was just a little bit up the line on that throw and, and uh, I was in a better shape. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, for, for me, again, I watched Barry as a kid. And then the odd part for me is, is as an adult, um, I was living in Los Angeles. And so the, the, you know, the main rivalry was obviously the Giants and the Dodgers. Right. So I saw Barry Bonds a gajillion times in Los Angeles. He was obviously noticeably different, um, you know, body-wise at that point. But, my God, man, I, I've, I don't think in my life, as being a baseball fan for all these years, I don't think I've ever seen anybody hit a ball f- further or harder than Barry Bonds. And, uh, and we used to go for uh, – in L.A., they would let you come and sit in the outfield for uh, batting practice. So we would all go, even as adults, to go and watch Barry Bonds and try to catch a, a batting practice home run from Barry Bonds. It just seemed like that guy did not miss. He'd come in and take 10 swings maybe. Nine of them would go out of the park. Um, it, it was just a, an unbelievable athlete to see. Um, was he doing he, that in Pittsburgh was, as well? He was so difficult to pitch to because he'd stand right on top of the plate, choke up a little bit. And he had such great quick hands, you couldn't get in on his hands. I mean, but he could cover the rest of the plate. I mean, and so, you know, he was right on top of everything. And and uh, with the skill that he had, it was just tough because, I mean, he could he had put his foot down, he'd sit there, and he was so quick with his hands that pitcher would throw a breaking ball, he'd still be on that just as much as he was the fastball inside. So very, very difficult for a pitcher to pitch to him. Were, uh, were, what were uh, Smoltz and Glavin saying in, in, uh, in the dugout in 91, 92 in regards to, like, oh, God, like, here comes Barry? Like, what were they thinking when they were pitching to him? Well, obviously, I mean, you know, the, the, the sad part is you had not only Barry, but then you had Bobby Bonilla coming right behind him. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. And that was a formidable foe as well. And, uh, and before that, you had Andy Van Slyke and Watt. I guess, I guess Bob, Barry, Barry did a lot more of the leadoff. I mean – uh, when he was with us, he was leadoff, and I can't remember where he was in 91 and 92 if he was – because I know Andy Van Slyke was always number three, and 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 Bobby Bonilla was generally number four. So, I mean, that, that makes me to believe that Barry was still leading off in 19, 1990 and 1991. But, uh, you know, you always – you weren't going to pitch to, to Barry if you had the opportunity to pitch to the next guy. If a base was open, you weren't going to let Barry win. And those, and, and, and obviously you guys know 
Tommy Glavin and John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, they did a great job of that, pitching around players to get to the next guy, making them look silly and, and uh, getting out of an inning. Yeah, I look, probably the best starting rotation of all time. Uh, and I think we've said this on the show numerous oh, yeah. times. Um, I don't care how biased we are. That's accurate. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and did it help you? Did you ever nudge them and say, hey, what's this guy going to do? Um, and did they give you tips and notes? Because I, I, one would think that you would go to a Maddox like immediately and be like, hey, man, I can't figure this guy out. Do you got any tips on this guy? I never went to Greg. I mean, I, I mean, and, and you probably bring up a great point, Ross. I should have been, I should have gone to, to maybe I'd have hit a little bit better, but, but at the same time, I mean, um, you know, never went to Smolty, never went to Glavin. They did their own thing. We did our thing. And, you know, I watched plenty of video figuring I had a game plan and, and, uh, but you know, obviously there were a lot of pitchers that, uh, had a game plan on me as well. Yeah, well, the reason I ask is we had a player on the show who said that they were playing with uh, Maddox was coaching in the uh, yeah Jeremy Affelt was talking yeah about Jeremy yeah. Affelt for the for the Giants uh, Maddox was coaching that what do they call it the World Ball it was, it was the, the he was coaching for the World Baseball Classic yeah Team World, USA yeah. yep and uh, and he player after player were just going to Greg and he would tell him every single pitch the entire game and it was he goes I've never seen anything like it in my entire life Maddox knew every single pitch. The, the, the sad part about it is, Ross and Rob, I mean, nobody, there's nobody in the game today that can pitch like Greg Max. I mean, you know, there's nobody that can have a ball that, go, you know, cuts off the inside part of the plate, comes back on the lefty, and then he throws a cutter that breaks off the outside part of the plate for a strike as well to, to keep you honest on both sides of the plate. And, you know, you knew what Greg Max was going to do in situations, but you couldn't. You couldn't do anything about it. I mean, you know, um, you know, early on when I played for Pittsburgh, I mean, I hit, I, I got to tell you a story. I hit a home run off of Greg that oh. I, um, I hit it right down the line. And when it, as soon as I hit it, I thought it was foul. So I stood in the batter's box and I watched it. <laughs> I mean, and then the, the thing stayed fair and I, I had to run around the bases embarrassed. I mean, cause that, you know, that wasn't me certainly to, to right. pimp a home run. So the next time I walked to the plate, I told Jody Davis, I said, Jody, I said, I got to tell you, man, I'm sorry. I thought that ball was going foul. And uh, that's why I stayed in the batter's box. It didn't matter to Greg. I mean, he plunked me, which he, he deserved. I deserved to get plunked. But uh, at the same time, he didn't throw the ball hard enough to really hurt you, so it was okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, was going to say that ball came in at probably 83. Yeah, uh, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pin, pinpoint control, though. He could, I feel like Greg is the type of guy who just hit you right in the right part of the spine, even though it's He'd not hard. He'd pick a vertebrae. He'd, yeah, be exactly. like, hey, we're going D4 or whatever it is. So, so, so let me ask you guys a question. I mean, sure. You guys are uh, asking me, but let me ask you guys a question. With, with the strike zone today and the umpires getting, getting scrutinized on their strike zones nowadays, you think Greg Maddox and Tom Gladwin would have been as good as they were back then when they got, you know, a half a foot to a foot off the plate I, at times. I think it would have affected Glavin a lot more because mm-hmm. uh, Glavin just in general was, you know, I think uh, his just measurables weren't as good. You know what I mean? I, that, I read a great article when he got inducted in the Hall of Fame. Is, uh, it was on, like, a fa- the site Fangraphs, which was like a big analytical site, if you never read it. And they were like, yeah, he doesn't – they even had to admit, even though they're big into, you know, wins above replacement and all that stuff, they're like – you know, sometimes guys just outperform what our numbers say they're going to do. Like Tom Glavin gutted his way into the Hall of Fame. 
And I think that might be a bit of a product of the era, and maybe it's a it's a strike zone situation. Maddox is, I think, Maddox was always a highly rated prospect, so I kind of think Maddox would be Fine. relatively yeah. okay. Yeah. One thing I, that's interesting to me, though, people say the strike zone was wider back then and shorter. Like maybe, and you can probably answer this. Part of the now, I always hear this from fans, especially, but part of the thing that always drove me crazy when people would say that is that. When you watch those games back then, and it looks like Maddox or Glavin is getting a strike that's like a foot off the plate, I want to scream because I'm like, do you not see the camera angle? Like, that's clearly off center. Like, you're not looking at it the way it's so, – like, it's much more centered now than it used to be, in part because that's the way the stadiums are built, so they have a better dead center camera angle, and in part, I, you know, it's just the way things were back then. But, I mean, how, how much wider or not wide is the strike zone now? I mean, how much different is the strike zone now than it used to be? Well, the strike zone today, I mean, and obviously you see umpires that are missing missing pitches. I mean, if that box is correct on the strike zone, I and I will agree with you in regards to the height is uh, a lot different. I mean, and I don't know why there's not – I saw it happening last year where guys started to throw high fastballs, I mean, you know, to get people out. I haven't started to see that again this year. I mean, and, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, for Greg Maddox and for those guys, I mean, they did have a smaller strike zone as far as up and down. But those two guys, I mean, especially, I mean, well, both of them, they could hit spots so much that they could just slowly just start working. The catcher would set up on the corner and then he'd set up an inch out, two inches out, three inches out, four, you know, get to a half a foot. And, you know, they were hitting that spot so much that the umpire, hey, he hit the spot, that just striked him. <laughs> you know, and it, and it wasn't just them. I mean, you, your big pitchers, Rick Sutcliffe and a lot of those guys that pitch, they would get their pitches too. I mean, I can remember sitting there in, in, in Chicago and good grief, Sutcliffe, Sutcliffe with Bruce uh, Froming. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can get, almost guarantee you that he was getting a foot outside. <laughs> I mean, so, so, you know, when you got, when you have that going for you, that's, that takes away everything. You know, you, you're, you're so concentrated out there. If he busts you inside, you're just done. You're just frozen. Yeah, and, and me personally, like, uh, as far as today's game goes, I, I don't I, – and I hate to say this. I'm starting to enjoy the game less and less with the new rules and everything that's going in place. Um, I, I just enjoyed your era so much better um, because right now, you know, I – Rob will tell you this. I'm, I'm a, I hate the seven-inning doubleheaders. I hate yeah. the runner on second in extra innings. Um, I don't like the netting all the way around the stadium. Uh, it, like, it just takes a lot of the enjoyment out of it. And being a father myself now, um, there's other sports that are more entertaining to take my, my kids to uh, than baseball right now. And, and to me, there's not enough big personalities. I mean, right now you've got a guy who – is essentially doing what Babe Ruth did in, in Otani. Otani, yeah. And, uh, and he gets no coverage. I don't see any of these games. They're all on at you know, 10, 10.30 at night. Uh, because of the streaming apps, uh, you, know, you have a million different games to choose from, and you're not getting that game of the week like you used to have. The, uh, before we went on air, we were talking about uh, uh, TBS and WGN and stuff like that that were showing the Braves all the time or showing every day of the Cubs all the time. You could root for these weird teams that maybe you, you might not necessarily get a chance to see or, or root for. 
And, and I feel like a lot of that is out of this game now. I, I feel like your era was the best, and I'm, I'm not sure if they can recapture that magic anymore. Do you feel the same? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great point, Ross. I mean, and I, and I, I really truly believe that a lot of, a lot of the fun was taken out uh, because of it because of warriors because of liabilities uh you know you can't hit the you can't hit the catcher you can't hit the second baseman and then it just went as you said around to the nets and around to you know all the other things in the ballpark and you know you 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 got to put a guy on second base to for an extra inning game i mean that you know how how childish is that i mean that that happens in your in your uh good grief your little league games your, your <laughs> yeah. eight nine eight nine year old games i mean you know, just because you've been sitting there watching guys walk around the bases the whole night, you just want to get the game over with. But I mean, at this place, I mean, there's that's that stuff. I mean, it is. I mean, it, and, and I think every veteran that played back in my era will sit there and tell you, I mean, they have really dumbed down the game or sissified the game. And, uh, you know, it, it's sad to see. Hey, Sid, real quick, we have to uh, read some sponsors here because that's what pays for all our nice toys and office snacks and all that kinds of fun stuff. Uh, My salary, too. So uh, let us get into these ads real quick, then we'll get right back to you. Baseball is in full swing, and the NBA play-in tournament has the playoffs starting off with a bang. And you can make each and every series matter by having a stake in the game with mybookie.ag. Regardless of whether you're betting favorites or underdogs, player prop bets, or just looking to make some cash, MyBookie gives you tons of options to make all your favorite matches a hell of a lot more exciting. And if you're looking to bet for the first time but don't know what to bet on, here at Drinking Bros, we can help point you in the right direction. For example, we are big on the Suns taking down the Lakers in the first round in the NBA playoffs. Uh, The Lakers are looking old. LeBron's looking old. Not really loving it. Uh, Also, kind of like the heat to take uh to take the bucks if, if i'm speaking personally and uh i don't care if the jazz kind of scared you in game one they didn't have donovan mitchell i think the jazz kind of i guess closed it out in six maybe maybe the grizz take one more but i would feel safe betting on the jazz money line every game going forward because i think they're gonna win three of them or uh four of the next five so you know go with the jazz too and and if it's a low enough uh uh, money line, take that. I, I, I like the Jazz a lot. I, I don't think Memphis has uh, the longevity, so definitely definitely bet that if you, if you want to take my advice. Uh, go to mybookie.ag slash drinking bros, sign up now, and use promo code drinking bros to get your first deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Let them know we sent you. Go to our very own URL, mybookie.ag slash drinking bros. That's M Y B O O K I E dot ag slash d-r-i-n-k-i-n-b-r-o-s i think you know how to spell drinking bros use the promo code drinking bros to get that free deposit bonus to start your day off with a win bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie next up we've got Killcliffe cbd our favorite cbd drink in the world always makes me feel good on a monday after a weekend i shouldn't have spent drinking so much it just chills me out Makes me feel better, even when I'm just feeling anxious or, or whatever. I, I like to drink this Killcliff CBD like pretty much constantly. It's a it's a daily uh, it's a daily office drink when you know Ross or Dan just uh, start yelling at us for for screwing things up. I just chug a couple CBDs and everything feels better. I feel happier and the world fades away. 
kind of. I don't want to make any promises. I can't keep there. But it's delicious, and it makes me uh, makes me happy and, and chills me out. Uh, and, you know, if you're a first responder or whatever, you're not going to fail a drug test if you drink uh, Killcliffe CBD. So don't worry. It's a safe and uh, tasty CBD product. You can go to KillcliffeCBD.com to get that. We also like their energy drink, Ignite. Uh, and that's just KillCliff.com. And uh, you can find those in grocery stores in, in Texas and HEBs and stuff like that. But, yeah, KillCliffCBD.com. We love Killcliff CBD here. We drink it all the time. You should, too. And uh, let's get back to Sid. Sid, sorry to make you wait. But uh, moving on. I would say my bigger issues, I'm not, I says, people, I get actually dragged on this show uh, by both of the other hosts uh, for saying this. I don't necessarily mind the guy on second base in the extra innings because if I've already committed like three hours to watching a baseball game, after, anything after the 11th inning makes me want to, walk into traffic like i just cannot keep watching uh so but as a kid like i used to root but, but, in this when i in the stadium i used to root for extra inning games so i could spend longer at the games or have a, a night out a late night out with my dad i used to root for things like that um well so so tell me why the games are so much longer today i mean so back back then we had you know my my fastest game was with greg maddox an hour and 36 minutes right one to nothing ball game yeah. I right. mean, you know, but at the same time, why are games so slow today? And they, you can talk about the guys out there, you know, doing their batting gloves and they did that back then. We did it back then. I mean, the reason that the games are so stinking slow is because you got these, these pitchers out there that they go three and two count on every batter that comes up to the plate. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to get people out. I mean, and, and, and as, a, as I've stated before, you might get your best pitch on a no two fastball, one two fastball. None of these pitchers know how to get people out. They want them to just throw that 95 mile hour, 98 mile an hour fastball and thinking that nobody's going to be able to hit it. And they throw it across the middle of the plate, one, two, oh, two, or they sit there and they just nibble the whole game long. I mean, and, and so you got a, you got a, an at bat that normally with, with a Maddox and some of those guys would take, you know, a minute to two minutes at the most. Now you got an at bat that's lasting four or five minutes. Yeah, and that's where your time comes in. And that my I mean, that, that's my bigger complaint is the I guess even you put it interestingly and say the pitching strategy. I would just go the alternate route, but I think that's basically the same thing as the batting strategy. Like nobody wants to put a ball in play anymore. Nobody wants to run the bases anymore. It really is, and it's like, man, I'm only 35 and I feel like 100, like talking about it like this. But it's like a, I don't like the three true outcome situation like I want the most exciting I say this all the time I love the Braves but the most exciting baseball team that I've watched in my lifetime uh were probably those that I can remember were those uh 14 15 Royals they were all about balls in play running uh really that, that is my most hated team maybe of all time in the history of <laughs> baseball the Royals from I, the 2014-2015? Uh, that was the, the most... Was it Eric Hosmer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The most boring team. Uh, they were maybe, a blast. Oh, my God. What are you talking about? Dude, if I'm thinking sexy teams, I, dude, you, you go with the Braves in the 90s, the Yankees, uh, the Oakland A's in the late 80s with uh, Ricky Henderson. That's two. The Bash two. Brothers, Eckersley and all those guys. That was a blast. And then you had... Even though that Cubs team was Sosa... Like, they weren't that great, but I was watching Sammy Sosa every time, and you felt like they always had a chance. I liked watching Kerry Wood. I liked watching all those guys. Uh, Bonds, those Giants teams were a blast. 
when the Royals and the Marlins were winning, like, oh my God, dude, is there a no. worse time in, in no. the history of our lives? That was, you're, you're being, that is not, you're, you're the being. The Great Depression of baseball. <laughs> you're being, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. You're being like locationist. All right. You just don't like them because they're the Royals. That's, no, who that's, was, who was the most exciting guy on that team? I mean, who, like, uh, Eric Hosmer was incredible. I love Lorenzo Cain. When Gerard Dyson was on the bases in that uh, fucking game, in that game against uh, Oakland <laughs> in, in the wild card game, yep. him stealing, like, they ran, they put pressure. Salvi Perez was big hit after big hit. I love Greg Holland in the bullpen. Like, I mean, they had a, three closers in the back of that bullpen. All of those people you just named, if you line them up in front of Sid Breen, he would not be able to tell you who one of them was, and I, neither I, would I. Oh, yeah, Ross. I, I knew a lot of those names right there, partner. Come on. He's I, a I, baseball but here's the fan. Thing. Same here. And I know the names, but if they were standing in front of me, I wouldn't know who the people are. Whereas You'd, like, well. if Barry Bonds walked into a room, Sammy Sosa walked into a room, uh, Mike Trout, all these, I'd be like, yeah, all right, great. There they are. But that team was just a bunch of like, it was kind of like Sandlot, where it was just, you know. It's the style I loved. I love the style. I want more of that style. I want ball. And see, and, and see you got to be happy for Ned Jost. I mean, he came yep. from the Braves. I mean, the yep. manager there. So. That, was, that was the only thing that made me happy about that whole team. <laughs> I did love it. I did love that for Ned Yost quite a bit. Uh, speak, speaking of like scrappy teams, though, you know, because they were, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. When you went from the Pirates, like you said, and they were awesome, the Braves sucked. Supposedly, yeah. when yeah. you went, did you not have, supposedly? We, yeah, we, well, we suck. they were supposed to suck in '91 as well. Did yeah. you have? Were you just like, oh, I just got sent to Siberia, or did you have any idea what was going on? Well, see, I, I had already experienced that already. I mean, and I, I share with individuals when I came from L.A. to Pittsburgh, you know, in 1985. I mean, people come up and said, "Man, you got to be so ticked off. You just went from a first place team to a last place team." And I said, "I mean, for me, I was saying no." I mean, my goal was to get to the major leagues. It wasn't going to happen in L.A. because Greg Brock and Franklin Stubbs was right behind me. Those are the two guys that people loved. And so, you know, I came to the Pittsburgh Pirates and, we lost, like I said, we lost 103 ball games my first year in 1986. We couldn't have been any worse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but going down to, to Atlanta, you still – we still – looking at that team, I mean, you had your Ronnie Gant – David Justice, you had your John, Tommy Glavin, John Smoltz, and, you know, a lot of great – you had a good core of young kids that knew – I mean, that could play the game, but they didn't know how to win. And I think that that's the one thing that, you know, with Terry Pennington, I think John Sherholtz did a phenomenal job. I mean, he didn't worry about getting somebody that was going to hit 40 home runs. He was going to get somebody that was going to teach those young kids how to play the game of baseball. And I think that it worked successfully for him, uh, understanding how things turned out in 1991. It was a it was a great move by him, and then he just kept adding great pieces. Yeah, and uh, David Justice was married to Halle Berry. I think you and Halle have aged the exact same way. It's, it's <laughs> you guys look identical to like what you did back then. It's it's crazy. But that that was a I wild. Put, I put on my I put on my creams and everything. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Your your A Rod. Did your your A Rod makeup? Did you see he has his own uh, male makeup line out? Does he? No, I didn't see that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'd be more of a Sid guy personally. I want Sid's. I want Sid's makeup routine. I, I'm not pretty enough to pull off A Rod anymore. The rugged type of like. Sid, good-looking type of sure. Yeah, for were sure. you? Were you at one point? You think what? Pretty? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of of Sherholtz and, and adding guys and stuff like that, so you're kind of in an interesting situation. So you did play with Maddox in '93, right? Yep. In, yeah. in, in Atlanta, um, but 
in that offseason, it was between Maddox and Bonds to go to the Braves, correct? That was, that's at least what they say. I, I don't know that. I mean, and there's a good chance you, you could be right on that, Rob. They, I mean, I don't know. They said, well, as the, so they didn't talk to you. I, that's what my question was going to be. Did they ever ask you uh, just like, hey, what's he like in the clubhouse or anything? Because the, the long-held story is the Braves had enough to sign one big name yep. in the 92 offseason. Yep. And Bonds and Maddox were the two mm-hmm. big names in the free agent mm-hmm. market. And they were actually closer to Bonds. Yeah. And then that fell through, and they are like, screw it, we're taking Maddox. Well, I mean, you know, again, um, you probably know more about that than what I do. I mean, I just <laughs> – I think that they I, I think that they picked the right person, um, you know, because pitching is everything. If you if you have a great pitching staff, I mean, you're going to stay in a lot more ball games than if you have a great hitter. And, um, you know, so I think John Sherwood's picked correctly and, and brought in Maddox, and, and I think it – the proof is in the pudding. Plus, you know, that's one less Cy Young winner that you have to face. Exactly. Man, <laughs> you're, you're, you're just you're just so on top of things, Rob. Thank you. <laughs> I like how I'm the dummy here today. I want to talk about your stash. When you have a stash game this strong, and you've had it for years and years and years, is it on purpose? Because I've, I've been known to grow a mustache myself, like a really, really great one. I'd love to go for life. It's just, it's hard to keep up. Um, and you still got it after all these years. What year did you start having it? As soon as I, I think it was really and truly, as soon as I got uh, into Major League Baseball, I because I, I have it with the Dodgers, um, you know, and I think that I started, I think the reason that I started to grow it is in when I was at school, they took a picture at night at the end of our dorm room for our, our, uh, our athletic book, you know, for put out for the baseball games. And my face looked as white as a ghost and I was as ugly as a ghost. <laughs> and, uh, and I just thought to myself, something needs to cover this face a little bit. And uh, so I started to grow the mustache and, and literally guys, I bet you in how many years that was, that was 81 when I got and started playing the game. I bet you any money that it's only come off maybe twice yes. in, in that time frame. I think I that's... Mean, I, uh, you know, I, I did it, I mean, like I said, twice in that time frame. I did it on one day on a Sunday morning, and I came down and, and had it shaved off, and my wife didn't even know that I had I'd taken it off. I mean, can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> that's like when you, uh, you know, they say, like, you can read something. Uh, if they t- if you take out a few words because your mind fills in the blanks really well, or yeah. if like one letter is reversed in the word, so your wife is just so used to your face with the mustache, she projected it on to your face. I think, and that, and that could be. I mean, you, I, I think you might have a great point there. I'm glad you didn't shave it because I'll tell you something. Uh, the other great baseball mustache of your era is Kirk Gibson, and he looks upsetting without a mustache. Whoa, I don't whoa, like... whoa, whoa! You're forgetting Keith Hernandez as well. Ah, uh, yes, I'd like yes. to put him in the mix. That's too. Keith, Keith Hernandez had a great mustache and. You know, I, I, I mean, it was it was an honor for me, but there were at times there were individuals that started growing mustaches and they started. It, this is an honor of Sid Bream. So uh, <laughs> in the Major League Baseball ranks. So that was that was an honor for me. I mean, that they were thinking about my mustache back at that time. Frame. I think we need to get the current Braves to do it like playoff beards are, are played out like we need a playoff mustache for all. What the you, current what you, hey, what do you guys think about these guys with these big old burly beards? Hate it. 
I don't know how they play with it. I like, mean, either it's uh, it's too hot. I, yeah. I don't know how I don't know how you play with that, especially in the summer. Baseball's a summer sport. Yeah. So yeah. if you're if you're in hockey, I get it. It's cold. You're on that rink. Yeah. It's cold. You're just trying to cover up a little part of your face, uh, keep that warm. But the the baseball players, I don't get it no. whatsoever. It's just too much. I, Same with LeBron yeah. James. Like, I, look, I, I get that Abraham Lincoln was uh, maybe a personal hero. But that's an Abraham Lincoln beard that you're wearing there, and that's hot on an yeah. NBA court. I can't imagine playing in, like, St. Louis or Cincinnati mm-hmm. in July. Especially, it couldn't have, they, it, people would have died of heat stroke in your era on the turf. The, like, oh, it's yeah. Impossible. We, we, we literally had 145-degree temperatures in St. Louis on the turf on a Sunday afternoon. I, they, I, had, they had a thermometer on that turf. I believe it. I mean, you're, you're playing in a parking lot. Yeah. Yep. Ugh. I mean, it was. I mean, we would come in and literally we'd jump into an ice bucket with our feet, <laughs> and at the same time they'd put they'd put pneumonia rags all over our head. We'd drink, and I I literally would lose even drinking all all game long. I'd still lose 15 pounds of water water weight off my body, playing on that thing. They'd put lettuce on your hair with uh, lettuce on your head under your hat with ice on top of it to try to keep you cool. And uh, so that that was when you really wanted your pitchers just to make contact, get out of there, <laughs> and get back into the dugout. Yeah, just a three pitch at bat, just one, <laughs> two, just let go. God, that is is St. Louis because I always I remember growing up uh, and going to obviously Old Bush Stadium with the carpet. I remember going down there once in the summer, um, like for like a kids' day or whatever, and I was like, run the bases. Yeah, and I was like, Martin, this is hell. Yeah. Like I need to get off of here. Was that what was was that? I mean, you got and you had to play on several. Like that was your home field at Three yep. Rivers. Yep. Cincinnati had that, I believe. Uh, so did that, Phil- was, that was a cookie cutter. Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Montreal. I mean, those teams, those fields that you talked about. I mean, they were the cookie cutters back then. And and uh, you know, during during the nighttime games, the ball would re you know, the the ground balls would be okay. During the daytime games or in Sundays, I mean, the ball would just be bouncing everywhere. I mean, you know, it would be like a, a little uh, one of those little pogo balls or whatever you call them. I mean, the ball would just bounce everywhere. I mean, on that turf, I mean, it was very, very difficult. Really? I didn't realize that, that during the day, the balls just went nuts. On oh, the, man. On that oh, yeah. When that, when, that, when that turf heated up, I mean, you know, balls that would normally just bounce right to the outfielder over the head i mean you know you're getting a triple off of that's when i got one of my triples because i, I bounced it over a guy's head <laughs> uh, ozzy smith used to play super deep for that reason yeah. because it was that dude that once it hits that turf congratulations it's going uh, for real <laughs> oh I, yeah, I, yeah no, he used to play super deep it's short for that um one of the big things that uh, i'm a gigantic fan of uh is the fact that you went to liberty university um, now, the reason being is I, I placed a wager here with my co-host, Rob, during the NCAA tournament mm. this year. Uh, he, you were all in. I was all about your Liberty Flames pulling that 12-5. Was it a 12-5? Yeah, yeah. yeah, pulling that 12-5 upset on Oklahoma State. Um, and, and so I bet him live on air that if he, if he lost, he had to wear a Liberty jersey for 30 days straight, mm-hmm. which he did. Um, it, it was a long 30 days. At least I got the reversible one so he could yeah, change could colors go, on go, it. Go white or navy, depending on the day, yeah. But you're known as Liberty's first sports superstar. Uh, what's that like? What was, what was Liberty like back in the day? Well, I mean, it's a whole lot different than what it is today, I can tell you that. I mean, we, <laughs> we had classes. I mean, up on the mountain, we had classes that uh, were literally in circus tents. 
because they didn't have the buildings for people. The roads weren't done, so you had nothing but red clay roads. And, uh, you know, so your, your pants, your shoes, everything was red clay. They were destroyed. Uh, you know, in all truthfulness, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been down there now. You, you guys got to take a trip to it. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable campus now. But, uh, you know, the ball field, they, my coach, Al Worthington, and, and I don't know if you guys remember Al Worthington pitched for the Twins and Cincinnati Reds and um, San Francisco Giants. We were just down in actually Birmingham. We went down. He's 92 years old right now. Oh, wow. He's in the Alabama Hall of Fame. But uh, he promised me that we would play our first game in 1980, in 1979 on the baseball field that they had grass on. The night before our first game, it's still the, the, the uh, infield wasn't cut out. And they brought a crew in that night, cut out the bases, put the dirt in. And we played the next day on that field. I mean, which it was nothing but a beach, but at the same time, I mean, that's how things started. And now you have just unbelievable athletic events down there. I mean, the uh, the football stadium is second to none as far as the technology and everything they put into it. The baseball stadium, the softball stadium. I mean, everything is just top notch technical wise. And and uh, Liberty Baseball is doing pretty well right now. They just moved on to to regionals and, and, uh, you know, doing really well this year. So really happy for Scott Jackson and Liberty, but it's a great place. I mean, it really and truly is all four of my kids went there. I met my wife there. 19 brains have gone there since I, oh, wow. I, I started back there in 19, 1978. So you were what, like the seventh class all ever? Cause it was 71 was the founding. 71, 71 was the start of it all. So yeah, I guess that was a seventh class and, you know, you you, if, uh, you guys remember Lee Guterman. I mean, you, th- you remember Lee yeah, Guterman? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Lee, Lee Guterman signed the same year I did. I mean, so he got to the big leagues for 12 or 15 years. Randy Tomlin uh, pitched for the Pirates. I mean, and and he he was he was right right there with me. Uh, we had we had several. I mean, Doug Smith was another one that was drafted by the Minnesota Twins. Yep. And uh, so we had several good players right there that that initial go round that uh, had 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 some time up in the big leagues. It's just surprising, uh, you know, a, a school without a baseball field essentially was able to draw this much talent. What made you want to go there? You know, it, it, Ross, it's it's really it's it's strange because, it, like I said, we just went down as as uh, alumni. We went down to see our coach just because we figured, okay. You know, this might be the last time that we get together and we had such a great time with our coach. But I heard even the classes before me, you know, Jeff Mency, who was drafted as a catcher, you know, he was saying that he showed up the whole way from California and he got there and they didn't even have a field. They were playing at the city park. I mean, they were practicing at the city park. There was like a, a, a little league field. Right. And he's just sitting there thinking, what in the world am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he, but he didn't have the money to go back home. And, uh, you know, so he, he hung it out, stuck it out. And, and, you know, within two years, they got crushed. His first game his freshman year was against South Carolina. And they got crushed oh, yeah. like 19 to two or 19 to three. And the next year, because of other players that came in, they beat South Carolina. And, uh, you know, back back then. So, uh, you know, it's just neat. It was neat to hear the stories. Why I went there, 
I had more offers out of high school for basketball than I did baseball. Uh, I was I was a six foot four point guard that could jump and dribble, and they liked that. And re- re- really quick, I mean, quick with my feet. And you guys can make the jokes if you want to about my speed, but I was quick. <laughs> no, only the post, only uh, post knee surgery. But at the same time, I mean, I had more offers for basketball. But Temple University and Liberty Baptist College gave me full scholarships. Temple was uh, Temple their 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 full scholarship was tuition and books. My uh, liberties was everything that was food. I was able to eat as much as I wanted and all that stuff. And coming from a family of six kids and my dad worked hard, three jobs to to put us through. I was the first one in my family to get to go to college. Um, You know, I made the choice of going to Liberty Baptist College. and, And again, to me, it was the best decision that I could have made. Yeah. And, and, you know, hearing your story, like you really can make it from anywhere. It's just up to your determination and will and, and what you're able to mentally uh, go through to do it. And uh, I did not know that story. I mean, it, it makes total sense when you say it now and you're like, yeah, you want to ease the burden of, of a college on your parents and everything else. And uh, yeah, I, if, if, you can, if you could go to a school without a baseball field, essentially, and make yeah. it to the major leagues in a couple World Series, that's uh, pretty phenomenal. Because um, well, you're they, right, it, it, that school has changed so much now. It's beautiful down there. That campus oh, is beautiful. It's, it's incredible. I mean, you know the, uh, you know the dorms, the classrooms. I mean, it is just an unbelievable place. But uh, you know, and I and I share this with individuals. I said, you know, you put the numbers up, somebody's going to find you. I don't care where you're at. Right. You know, you put the numbers up, and somebody's going to find you. If you're throwing over in the mid '90s or '90s out of high school or college, somebody's going to come around and look at you. Somebody's going to, the way I got to school, I mean, down at Liberty Baptist College was literally my uncle listening to Dr. Follow on television saying that, Hey, if you know of any Christian athletes, you know, send, send them down here. My uncle wrote Dr. Follow a letter. He in turn gave it to coach Worthington that called our baseball coach as well as some scouts in the area, never came to see me play, prayed me in, and, and there I was. I went down to Liberty and, and uh, you know, started my career down there. I think wow. that's – I think it's Liberty's a really fascinating um, school in that uh, they seem to put a lot of uh, thought into the fact that they're like, yeah, sports is the best marketing tool you have for a university. Uh, because whenever, like, a, a major university does well, or any university does yeah. well, in um, especially in the NCAA tournament or in football mm-hmm. – Attendance just shoots up the next year. Oh yeah, look, and, they, and, they were great in football this year and basketball. Yeah, and so. Li- Liberty is very transparently. I mean, like you said, they're they're building up their campuses too, but they're very transparently like, yeah, we need to be on ESPN. Yeah, because then we will get more money and more people will apply to this school. It's it's, it's really fascinating to me, um, like a, a case study in how to build a university through. Your- I mean, you know, that was Dr. Falwell's vision. I mean, his vision was for Liberty football to play against Notre Dame. And I think it's getting closer and closer with you freeze being there and the, and the success that they're having right now. Yep. I think it. I think it could be just around the corner if things continue to to, to uh, project the way things are going right now. And and again, it always helps. I mean, nowadays you have to have the best facilities available, and and they certainly have great facilities right now for every aspect that you can bring in there. Um. Got a question? Yeah. That I want to add. Not about Liberty, but kind of about kind of about the opposite of Liberty University, to be honest. Uh, Jim Leland, uh, I would I, I would love if you have any good Jim Leland stories or Bobby Cox stories for that matter. 
All I want to hear about is those two guys because they. Well, let me just say both of those guys are unbelievable men and coaches. I mean, I actually, my third son, his middle name is named after Leland. Um, his, his name's Austin Leland. And, um, you know, I, I thought the world of coach, he was, he was one of the only coaches that I had in professional baseball that he would tell me the truth. And, uh, you know, I respect somebody that looks me in the eye and tells me the truth, whether it's good or whether it's bad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so I respected Jim Leland for that. Uh, he was a great manager. He, he was a psychiatrist. He knew what uh, what you needed, whether you needed a kick in the butt or a joke to told to you to get you to loosen up. And he was always two or three, you know, uh, moves ahead of every manager that he played with. I mean, he was incredible. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the stories that I love telling, I, I, I'd start, I started to take him and my, my surgeon on my knees out to a place to, uh, hunt pheasants. And so I, uh, I took him out to one day and, and normally you have a little best one with some orange on or, you know, and an orange hat and so on. He comes out there with a blazing orange parka, a blazing orange pants. I mean, I had it on video and he, he, he was just glowing. <laughs> I mean, just glowing in the video. But uh, as we're going down through the field, my surgeon, Jack Fela, he had the first point. And so he went up to the dog and the bird flew up and, and it got out just a little bit off his muzzle and boom, you know, and the feathers flew everywhere. And, uh, you know, so I said, guys, you got to let the bird get off the gun a little bit. You don't, don't shoot them right <laughs> off your gun. So. <laughs> Dog goes on point next one, and and uh, you know I said okay, Skip, it's your turn, and I'm I'm videotaping this, and uh, so at that point in time, I mean the bird flushes, and literally the bird wasn't more than two feet from his gun whenever it went up, and he shot it, and you saw feathers, and you saw the rest of the bird just flying, and uh, <laughs> you know I just laughed my head off. I mean number one, you had the glow ball, but at the same time, I mean this bird was uh, just mincemeat by the time it was. You know, got got done being shot, but uh, I I always loved that. But uh, you know, Jim Leland, there were so many things that you could say about him. I mean, I, he's just an incredible man, and uh, I was glad to been able to play with him. And and uh, thank you for the opportunity to share that. Yeah, were you, were you happy that he finally got a title in '97? I am. I mean, absolutely, I am. I mean, uh, uh, he he deserved it. I mean. I think he got the respect of every player that ever played for him. Uh, he was he was just one of those individuals that uh, he respected you. He wanted the best out of you, um, and uh, you know he would do anything he could in order to make you successful. I, I respect him for ripping heaters in the dugout. Yeah, as well, that yeah. was a big. I was a big fan of that. And 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 ripping Barry Bonds down in spring training. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He he didn't care. Like, uh, what what was that? He fight was an about old again? school guy. Yeah, he was. I was. That was going to be was my an name. old school guy. Yeah, he that, he would get some grass stains with you if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was be my next question. Uh, just because he was old school and he was kind of uh, crotchety, but in like a fun way. Yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, or maybe like a little grumpy in a fun way. Maybe they put it. Who do you? Who was more entertaining with an ump, Bobby or or Jim? Um, you know, Jim Leyland was probably a little bit more animated. I mean, if you guys ever watched him jaw with an umpire back then, I mean, oh, yeah, you know, he always go right up alongside him. 
you know, he'd, he'd bob that head all over the place. And, <laughs> and uh, but uh, you know, I think Jim Leland had a little bit more fun. Bobby was more professional. Uh, don't don't come out of the dugout with your hat turned backwards or, you know, looking strange in your uniform. He didn't like that. He was more professional. Uh, Bobby was one of those that, as long as you were giving it your hundred percent, you know, you were okay. Man, you dogged it. You were going to get chewed out big time and. And he would always back up his players. Bobby always backed up his players just like Jim Leland did. And so you, you, you respected him for all that for sure. Uh, let me ask you this. With, with uh, him getting a title, uh, do you ever look back at how – I mean, you just missed those, that World Series title with the Braves there um, in, in yeah. that, that 95. Is that, the, is, that, is that a regret in your career that you didn't get a championship? Hey, I mean, you know, everyone, everybody wants to get a championship. I mean, you know, it would have certainly been nice. And we were so close, uh, you know, in, at Minnesota. I mean, I really believe that our game with Toronto, our second game, we, if we, we were winning that until Ed Sprague hit that home run in the ninth inning. Yep. And then they went on to win it. And we would have gone up there two to no, two nothing. I think we would have had a lot of momentum going on. But, um, you know, Minnesota – just a great, great series. And, uh, yeah, everyone wants to have a title. Uh, but, man, what can you – you know, you, you, you fight your heart out. and I mean, it didn't happen, and what do you do? You just – you came in second place, you bow your head, and you, you have a second-place ring. So uh, uh, I'm just thankful to, that I had an opportunity to be on those teams. Were you ever uh, – I say, I mean, one thing that's interesting about those two uh, misses, I guess, that you had or two post – season team the first two that you were with the Braves I mean what were you ever what were you thinking because those were two of the most intense series in playoff history that right? twins one the 91 World Series widely considered to be the best World Series of all time and I would agree uh, and and Kent Herbeck pulled him off the bag that's I mean that was bullshit <laughs> Ross I would I did the same stuff <laughs> <laughs> You do whatever you can do. I mean, and, and his was a little blatant because he had his arm wrapped around Ronnie Gant's leg. And yep. holding. You know, I, I remember Vince Coleman and, and so guys like that, that they if they went back into the bag where they, they put their toe on and spun around, I would just put my glove on them and just start pushing and they'd lose their balance and I'd push them off the base. Or I'd sit there and every time that they come in, I just slap the daylights out of them so it would hurt, kind of like a <laughs> UFC fighter. I mean, you know, you start kicking them in their shins and everything. I mean, they 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 get light on their feet a little bit, and uh, you know, so I used to do that all the time. You do whatever you can to help the team. If you get caught, you get caught. But Herbeck didn't get caught. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you think about that last game again. I mean, and a lot of people put it on Lonnie Smith because he. You know, he got deked at second base with Ronnie Gant's yeah. double in yeah. left center field. But I say this, I mean, I had bases loaded with one out, and Jack Morris got me to double into it, you know, ground out into a double play and, you know, home to first. And then Terry Pennington had a guy on third base that he uh, popped the ball up on the infield. I mean, that's great pitching. I yep. mean, Jack Morris knew exactly what he was doing, and we just didn't get the job done. So, uh, uh, you know, we could have easily come away in that 91 series winning against Minnesota, but they got, you know, they got the best of it with Kirby. That's true. They did. And it's, uh, it broke my heart as a child. Yeah. Uh, I can yeah. tell you that. Uh, cause in, in Atlanta, I remember, uh, you know, as a kid, again, um, the, the city was so electric 
And every single bar and restaurant was, you had to wait for hours and hours and hours just to watch the game. And you wanted to watch it with fans because you felt like this was our year and we were going to win it. And I remember my dad uh, down by the local sports bar by my house, he had to save a table for five hours um, until, you know, I mean, the, yeah, it was often, about game time. I've often said, guys, I've said, you know, the 1991 series for me or the 1991 season mm -hmm. was my most exciting season ever watching watching a team learn how to win i mean and and turning everything around but then watching a city just adopt you i mean and just start you know instead of 1200 people being in the stands or 2000 you know then it got up to 10,000 then it got up to 20,000 and then it was 40,000 and then 50,000 and and then you got the chant going, hey, yeah. hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you know, I always remember Bob Walk pitch, you know, pitch for the Pirates with me and he pitched for Braves. But he said that that was so eerie hearing 50 some thousand people sitting there doing that tomahawk chop. I mean, so oh, and it was fun. I mean, it was you know, deafening it was a, in the stadium. Great experience. It was deafening in that stadium, too, when when they were doing yeah. it. And uh, and I was a kid. And uh, yes, it, it was a, an awesome childhood. Uh, now is the point in the show we get to the drinking bro of the week, which is someone who has inspired you or helped you become the person you are today. Who would you like to give the drinking bro of the week to? My, I mean, again, I mean, guys, I mean, the person that, uh, you know, people ask me all the time, who's your hero? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I literally say my, my dad, uh, you know, he, my dad, when he was a senior in high school, pitched 46 innings and struck out 98 guys. Had a chance to play with the St. Louis Browns. Uh, he didn't do it because he had knee problems as well. But at the same time, my grandfather wouldn't let him play on Sundays, keeping the Sabbath day holy. And um, and at the same time, my uncle. My uncle played center field. And uh, I loved to go watch my uncle and my dad play and uh, Sandlot baseball. And uh, I grew up a St. Louis fan. My, bro my oldest brother is named after Stan Musial. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, so uh, uh, if I'm going to say anything about a hero or somebody that uh, you guys want to propose a toast to, yeah, it would be my dad, my uh, dad, and my uncle. Uh, was you, did your dad get to see you um, during during any of these runs here with the Braves? Was he in the ballpark? He he passed away in '95, but I mean, he was there for the '91, '92, '93. Um, you know, and they all, he came down to Houston in '94 with us a little bit, and so. You know, my dad, I think he lived his baseball days out with me because, I mean, he knew that he had an opportunity for that and didn't go with it, but he lived his days out, and so it was a great pleasure for me to be able to pass that on to my dad. That's great. That's great. Uh, Sid, thank you for being here today. Uh, honestly, this is uh, yeah a childhood dream Definitely for me. Bucket, uh, bucket list situation. Yeah. They say don't meet your heroes. In this case, uh, it was nice meeting you. Um, what a great... Great chat we had today. Thank you for your time today, Sid. Where can everybody find you? Well, you can go to sidbream.com. Uh, sidbream.com, I mean, it's a uh, site for me to go come and speak. They can go there. They, You know, if they, they uh, want to talk at all, they can do that, and we can hook up some other way that way. But, I mean, if you want me to come and speak, uh, you know, you can get on there and send me an email, and we can get it done that way, okay? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Sid Bream. We appreciate the time today. Uh, for Hot Bob, I'm Ross Patterson. This is the Drinking Bros Sports Baseball Edition. Good night, everyone.